Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good and great. It's hard to believe that it's December the 8th, isn't it? That Christmas is in a couple weeks, and ready or not, here it comes. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to take a brief break from Judges during the Christmas season to look at a few passages that help us focus on Christ and his coming the first time as a baby. And we're going to start in Isaiah today at chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 19. And while you're turning there, uh, you may or may not have noticed that today is a day when we vote on our budget this year. If you're a member, we vote on officers. And I just want to give a shout out and thank you to our current church board. Our church board are made up of uh, 14 different individuals who are members. They're, they're nominated by this committee called the Nominating Committee, which may seem like the strangest committee, but has a very important purpose of nominating leaders. And then they're affirmed by the church board, and then they're voted on today. And then they serve anywhere from three up to six years. Can you imagine serving six years on a church board? That's amazing. And they do a great job. Uh, we meet at least once a month, and, and they, they pray for our church. They love our church. They work with me and our staff. They bear a lot of burdens at times, depending on what's going on with the church, but it's a joyful burden, I hope. And so uh, let's just give a round of applause for our current church board and what they do. They do get paid, but it's in heaven. Their reward is in heaven, right? Yes. <laughs> well, Isaiah chapter 8 beginning at verse 19. And as we're looking through this passage, I have two main points I'm going to emphasize today. I call them two key life principles that are so important if we're going to adore Christ this Christmas season, if we're going to get our life in order the way, it, the way that God wants us to honor him, there's two key life principles. And I encourage you to stand now for the reading of God's word. Last week I read 57 verses I did. This week, there's only 10. Praise God, huh? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you? Okay. Uh, starting at verse 19. So remember, this is Isaiah. This is 700 years before Jesus Christ would be born. Here's what uh, Isaiah says. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, that's God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And let's read these verses now out loud together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from Isaiah, written over 2,700 years ago, written about 700 years before Jesus Christ would come, before the second member of the Trinity would take on flesh and grow and then eventually die for our sins. Lord, thank you for these words which give us hope this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so if you look at chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more what? Gloom for those who are in what? Distress. So this is 700 years before Jesus Christ would be born. What is going on right now in the time of Israel, particularly the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah, that is causing so much gloom and so much distress? Well, there's a few reasons why they feel this cloud of gloominess. Number one, they are facing the threat of war and invasion. Are we facing that right now as a country? Not really. We don't really know what this is like. But back then, they were facing several different threats. For one, they had the mighty nation of Assyria. They were the dominant empire at the time in chapter 7 who was looming and, and getting ready to come in. And in fact, we, I talked about Assyria when we were in the book of Jonah. And they were known for coming in and they were known for, for their barbaric, torturous methods of putting people on pails, of skinning people and hanging the skins on the city walls. I mean, that was the kind of threat that was looming during the time of Isaiah in Judah. And not only did you have that threat, you had a couple more threats too. A, a couple of the nations like the northern kingdom of Israel, as well as Syria, not us Syria, but Syria, wanted Judah to join forces and fight the mighty Assyrian nation, but Judah didn't want to do it. So they were also threatening an invasion too. So really Judah at this time, Judah's gloom, they are facing threats from at least three different nations. And then another threat you'll see as well, number two, is that they had bad leadership. I would encourage you at some point today to read Isaiah 7 and 8 leading up to this passage. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, Judah's king is named King Ahaz, and he is not a godly king. God had asked him to lead the nation and to trust in him, but instead of Ahaz trusting in God, he's actually going to trust in a foreign superpower to protect them. He's actually going to look towards the nation of Assyria that's coming in and say, hey, we're going to buy you off, and would you try to save us from other nations trying to threaten us as well? So that's only adding to their gloom and darkness. And then the third threat of gloom is that they are an unbelieving people. So they have war from without, bad leadership from within, and then them as a nation, they are not believing in the Lord their God. We just read in chapter 8, if you look at chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, what they are looking at, it says, when someone tells you to consult what? Mediums 
and spiritist who whisper and mutter. So do you see what the nation of Judah is consulting? They are looking at the psychics and the fortune tellers to tell them what to do with the threat of war and bad leadership. They are going to those who claim to consult the dead. I mean, do we still do that kind of stuff today, by the way? We do. Other cultures do this probably more than we do, but believe it or not, this kind of stuff happens even in our county. This kind of stuff even happens in the Midwest. In my last ministry assignment in Lima, I was amazed at, kind of shocked really, how many people had, had you know, been with a fortune teller or a psychic, were in the tarot cards and palm readings, were, were talking to those that claimed to speak with the dead and, and would put their hope and their faith and really validity in this kind of thing. This isn't that far removed from us today as well, but, but all of this consulting of people that they shouldn't be consulting rather than God is causing all sorts of gloom. If you go on to the next verse, verse 20, look at these words I've highlighted. Because they're looking at other sources for their hope and their light, it says, they have no light of dawn, verse 20. And then in verse 21, look what else. They are distressed and hungry. They will roam. They they are restless. When they are famished, that's not just physically famished and hungry. They are spiritually desperate and hungry. They will become what? Enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. If you go to the next verse, 22, it says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. So the nation of Judah right now, this is what they're experiencing, facing all these threats and looking to the wrong thing for their solution. This is their reality right now. And this brings me to my very first key principle. Remember I said there's how many principles we're looking at? There's two. The first one is this. If you and I look for your light or your hope or your joy in yourself or the resources of the world, you will experience what? Gloom. If you and I look for our light in ourselves or the resources of this world or anything else other than Jesus Christ, we too, that's going to be our experience as well in chapter 8. We're going to be famished, spiritually speaking. We're going to be hungry. We're going to be restless and roaming. It's going to feel like we have a cloud of gloom on us that we are cast into utter darkness. (coughs) Scholar Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says this, what is going on here? These people are looking towards the earth and to human resources to fix their problems. They are looking to the experts, to the mystics, to the scholars for solutions. Yes, they admit they're in darkness, but we can overcome it. We can do this ourselves. And we make the same kind of claims today. Some of us look to the state for our solution or to politics. Some look to the market. Everybody looks to technology. Yet all of these things share the same identical assumption that things are dark, but we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation. So we often think that if we just have the right solution, the right technology, the right people, the right political philosophy, the right person in power, then everything will be all right. If we just become more scientific, or if people, do you ever say this or think this? If people were just more like me, then everything would be so much better. Or even think of this personally. 
What are some of the things we look to in our life, not even as a nation or people, but even personally, what are some of the things you look to to give you light and hope and joy rather than God? And if you're not sure, just answer this question. If only I had blank. If only I had more money. If only I had more possessions. If only I had more influence. If only I had more friends, or if only I met Mr. or Miss Wright, then everything would be great. Then I would have the light. If only everybody liked me a little bit more. If only blank, then life would be good. If only I had the perfect family with kids who obeyed all the time, or the perfect diet and health regimen, then I would have the light. If only I would have the perfect Christmas experience where everybody comes to my house and there's actually peace, maybe not peace on earth, but there's at least peace in my household, then life would be good if I just had blank. But the problem is if we look to our light in anything else other than Jesus Christ, all of those things may satisfy for a short time, but they will only produce in the long run gloom and darkness. We'll be famished. We'll be longing for more. We'll be enraged. We'll be cursing God. You know, some of you know what this is like. Before coming to faith in Christ, wasn't life pretty dark? Wasn't life pretty restless? Some of you can remember there was a time when you were searching and looking for answers. And, you know, in chapter 8, verse 19, it was, t- it was saying that people are telling them to go to these spiritists and mediums. The world was telling you to go to this and to that for your solutions. Even some of, the, some of us today, if we're honest, even if you claim to follow Christ and he's your savior, don't you sometimes live as if he doesn't exist? Do you and I ever make choices or go about our week as if we're in charge and we can solve all of our problems and issues? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you did this even last week? It's so easy to do. But if we look for our light in ourselves or the resources of the world, we will experience what Isaiah calls as gloom. You know, one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is just how honest it can be about life without Christ because it describes life without Christ as pretty harsh, pretty rough, dark. You're hungry, you're roaming. Life's confusing, you're constantly bumping into things because of the darkness. I know what it's like to live sometimes, even as a pastor, it's easy to kind of look to your own strength and rely on your own resources. But I will admit, if I'm living that way, do you know how I feel? The text said dark and gloomy. I feel like I'm hollow. That's the word I would use. I feel like I'm stretched too thin. One of my friends who's in ministry says, it's like, it's like you have a piece of toast, but not enough butter or peanut butter to spread across it, you know? That's how I feel. And I just made everybody hungry with toast. <laughs> A lot of you can relate to that. If you're not seeking Christ, even as a Christian, you can feel this way, dark and empty and utterly lost. So how do we get lifted from this gloom? How do we get out of this darkness and this roaming and this wandering? Well, this will take me to principle number two. And and I called this sermon from gloom to glory. Say that with me. From gloom to glory. How do we actually go from that in our hearts, in our experience, Well, let's look at chapter 9 now and go through the rest of the text. (coughs) Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. I mean, that's great news. 
Have you ever been watching a movie or reading a book and it's a really dark moment and all of a sudden the light bursts through or it seems like the darkest moment in that movie and all of a sudden, you know, the hero bursts through. You thought the character was dead, but he's only mostly dead. And mostly dead is slightly alive. That's what the Princess Bride says. (laughs) There's still hope. And that's what Isaiah is here saying as well. There's still hope. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Things are bad, but it's going to get better. It says, in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are two tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. But in the future, he's going to honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Remember I said this was written how many years before Christ came? 700 plus years. This is actually a prophecy looking all the way towards Christ's coming. If you look up on screen, here is the land of Israel. I know it's kind of hard to see with this color scheme. Divided into 12 tribes. And Naphtali and Zebulun are on the north side. They're in the middle. And it said there in the past that God humbled those nations because if Assyria was coming in from the north, they were some of the first tribes that would experience their oppression, their invasion. But in the future, he's going to honor them, God says. How? Well, during the time of Jesus, when Jesus Christ came to earth, Jesus quoted this passage. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of what two tribes? Zebulun and Naphtali. And then on the next screen, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Isaiah was looking forward to a future time when Jesus Christ would come. And Jesus Christ set up his base of operation and ministry in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. He came showing them that the Assyrian nation is not going to have the last word. But God's kingdom is going to have the last word. Because <laughs> this is where Jesus did most of his miracles and ministry was right in that northern area of Galilee. If you go on to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Remember, how many years was this before Christ came again? 700 years. But Isaiah's writing this as if it's already happened. They've seen it. This is going to happen. A light has already dawned. This is how certain it's going to be with the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, you, that's God, have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. So they've gone from darkness and hopelessness to joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Do we have any farmers here? Do you guys ever rejoice at your harvest? Maybe especially this year if you had a good harvest, because despite all the conditions. I mean, back then it was a big deal, just like today. That's the kind of rejoicing that's going on, the kind of hope that God is giving them. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder or in victory in a battle. Verse 4 on the, next, on the next screen. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, <coughs> the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Anyone remember where uh, Midian shows up in our sermon series? Does that sound familiar? That was in what book of the Bible in our current series? Judges. Remember, God called Gideon to defeat Midian. I'm so glad that rhymes. God called Gideon 
to defeat Midian, a force of 300 people defeated a force of 135,000. Isaiah saying, just as they rejoiced then, so you are going to rejoice as a nation and the people of God. And your victory is going to be so sure in verse 5 that every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood is going to be destined for what? Burning. There's going to be no more war, no more threat of war, no more oppression. It'll be fuel for the fire. And then it says in verses 6 and 7 again, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government's going to be on his shoulders. And he will be called, let's say it together, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So, there's hope, Isaiah says. And this takes me to my second key principle. My second key life principle, if the first one was, if you look for your light in yourself or the resources of this world, you'll experience gloom. The second is, the way to go from glory to gloom is to look for your light in God's Son. And who's that? Jesus Christ. <coughs> you know, sometimes as a preacher, I feel like I'm just a professional reminder. <laughs> Some of this is probably obvious. You could almost say, duh, Pastor Rick. <laughs> but boy, how often we forget this, don't we? We are just like the people of Israel and, and Judah, really, what we're talking about. How we looked for our answers in other things that the world is telling us to look to. Rather than looking for our hope and light and glory and peace and truth and way, only in Jesus Christ. The nation at that time was struggling to do this. Their leadership was with all the threats they were facing. And you and I have an incredible advantage compared to Isaiah's time. Because they were still waiting for Jesus to come. But you know what? He already came 2,000 plus years ago. We have seen the fulfillment of this prophecy already 2,000 years ago. And yet it becomes so commonplace, doesn't it? I want to apply this a little bit more today because it's easy to hear this maybe and say, okay, I agree. But what does it actually look like? If you and I are going to go from gloom to glory every single day as a Christian, what's that look like? And I want to, I want to do this by focusing on those four titles again because it said he will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's take each of those four real briefly and apply them. So the first one, Wonderful Counselor, if we look to Jesus as our Wonderful Counselor, what is he going to give us? Wisdom. You know, if you ever do see a counselor, which I always recommend, there's no shame, by the way, that takes strength to do that. Whenever you go see a counselor, you often want someone that has credentials, don't you? You want someone that knows what they're talking about, either a degree, maybe, or maybe a certain life experience. If, if you're going through suffering of a particular kind and, and you want some advice on how to get through it, you often go to someone that's been through it and survived and is now thriving, right? Well, guess what? We have that in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most powerful being in the universe, and yet he humbled himself, and he experienced a lot of what we experience. He got hungry. He got tired. He was disappointed. I would often think, you know, when I watched Jesus interact with his 12 disciples, how much he got frustrated with them that they just didn't get it at times. I mean, if you're facing rejection by your friends and family, Jesus knows what that's like. If you've ever been denied, Jesus was denied by Peter. If you've ever been betrayed, Jesus faced that. 
Have you ever experienced physical pain? Some of you are experiencing pain right now physically. I mean, for some of us, you have chronic pain. Jesus knows what it's like to have pain when he died on the cross. And some of you, either you or someone you know, is facing death. And guess what? Jesus has faced that too. Our Savior, the God of the universe, knows what it's like to die. Isn't that incredible? And so we can go to him as the infinite, wonderful counselor. And so the question for you and I this morning is, even this past week, if you're facing something difficult in your life, have you gone to Jesus and asked him for wisdom? Or did you get caught up in looking and asking Siri or Alexa or Google for your answers rather than Jesus Christ? Have you just simply gone to him this holiday season and said, Lord, I, I need your help in this specific area? The Bible says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So is he your wonderful counselor this morning? Let's go to the second title. <clears throat> we don't just look to God for wisdom, but he's also our mighty God, and we look to him for what? Power. This son who would be born was incredibly powerful. He is the mighty God. He's different than any other human king, Isaiah says. You know, I have to admit, when I was studying this passage this week, I have preached on this passage before, and the last time I preached on this in my last church was four or five years ago, and it just so happened to be the week that my dad went to the hospital. And a few years ago, my dad went to the hospital, he got pneumonia, and he ended up having a complication called sepsis that almost took his life. And so as I'm preparing that passage that week, I got a phone call that week from somebody in my church. And you know what? They actually left me a voicemail. Isn't that crazy? Who leaves voicemails anymore? But that's what he did. And on his voicemail, what he did was basically remind me of God's power. He said, Rick, I just want you to know that as I pray for you and your dad, that you are believing in the one who walked on water. <laughs> You're believing in the one who calmed the storm. <laughs> You're believing in the one who fed the 5,000 who opened the eyes of the blind, who healed the lame and the sick, who rose from the dead. That's the kind of God, Rick, you're believing in. So this, this is the voicemail that my congregants leaving for me. <laughs> and I was in tears, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. That we serve a mighty God who is all powerful. Some of you this morning are facing some pretty hopeless situations. You may need to seek Jesus for wisdom, but have you sought him for power? Have you asked him to move in your life in a powerful way? And yes, God may have a different plan or his will may be different than what you've asked. But when's the last time you've asked God to intervene in your life in a powerful way? When's the last time you've asked God to say, God, unless you do this, this isn't going to happen. Do you believe that our God is a mighty God? That when Jesus Christ came, even as a baby, he is the mighty God in the flesh. The third title we see on there too is not just for wisdom and power, but he's the everlasting father. And there's a lot of nuances here. We look to God for our protection, for our care, and for our provision. You know, it's kind of interesting that this son is also called a father. That is interesting, isn't it? And also too, this technically refers to Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one. It's a very difficult math problem, really. I don't think Isaiah is getting confused that the son would be a father. I think what he's saying is 
Just like a perfect father provides protection and care and provision, this son to be born is going to provide all those things for you and for me. You know, as you think about your life this week, have you asked God for protection in your life, for care, for provision? Is there something that you need in your life that you haven't asked God for yet? And he may say, no, of course he can't. Or may say, wait, but have you just asked him? The amazing thing about this is our father knows what we need even before we ask. And he's everlasting, meaning that Jesus Christ will always be ruling and reigning. You know, our heavenly fathers will, I mean, our earthly fathers will let us down. They will die someday, but Jesus Christ will be our everlasting father. And then fourthly, last but not least, the Prince of Peace gives us what? Peace, no surprise there. Jesus Christ came bringing peace because he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He came and grew so that he could be the son of God and the lamb of God who would die on the cross for our sins, taking the punishment that you and I deserve so that when you and I believe in him, we get that peace with God. But it's not just abstract. We actually have real peace in our life right now. How many of you need that kind of peace this morning in your life with what you're going through? And there's a lot. Have you asked Jesus Christ right now today for peace? And I want you to think about your week this past week. Think of everything that happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, because every week can be a roller coaster. Have you simply gone to Jesus Christ for your wisdom, for your power, for your protection and care and provision? for your peace? Or are we like the people in Isaiah's day? We're looking to everything else. They were looking to the spiritists and the mediums. What are we looking to for our hope and light rather than Jesus? If you go back to Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is what? Given. This is a gift. (coughs) We don't deserve it. The reason that you and I can actually have that kind of peace and provision and wisdom and power is because God gave us the best gift. And if you think about it, it's kind of humbling to accept this gift. A lot of you right now are in the process of Christmas shopping and you'll be getting gifts. And if I gave one of my friends or family members a a pass to the wellness center, what would I be telling them if they accepted it? (laughs) Or if somebody gave that to me, I need to work out, right? It'd be a humbling gift. Well, if you and I receive this gift of his son, we are saying that we need help. We can't do it on our own. We need the light and life of Jesus Christ. And the reason that you and I can actually accept this is because when you think about gloom and glory, Jesus Christ came and he experienced the worst gloom, didn't he? When he was on the cross dying for our sins and hanging for our sins, scripture says that darkness came upon the land, gloom came upon the land. Scripture mentioned earlier that if you seek other things other than Christ, you'll be hungry and famished. Well, on the, on the cross, Jesus Christ said, I thirst. And he became hungry and famished so that we could be filled with him. He became cursed by God for his sin so that we could be blessed by God when we believe in him. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Have you looked to him for all those things this morning? 
Let's pray. And I want to invite the, the team forward for the last song. Father, I pray right here and right now, Lord, I don't think this is a complicated message this morning. I pray right now that you would show us where we are failing to look to you. And Lord, perhaps there's even someone here who hasn't looked to you yet for the first time. Lord, may today, may you bring that light that Isaiah talked about. May you just shine your light in them to show them who you are in your glory, to show that you have given a son, Jesus Christ, for them. May today be the first day they believe in you. Lord, for others of us who are going through deep darkness right now in our life and gloom, I pray that you would shine your light on them too. Show our people that you are a wonderful God, so approachable, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our hour of need for wisdom and power, for provision and protection and care. Lord, for peace. <clears throat> I even pray as people leave today that they would feel stronger because your Holy Spirit is strengthening them towards Christ. Father, thank you that your son experienced the worst gloom and darkness so we could have the glory of light in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.